I did something fun on Monday. I went and taught at a Catholic school of supernatural ministry up in Brighton, Michigan. Can you know that? I'll tell you what, man, they are going for it up there. They are hungry. And so uh, we had nuns wearing their full habits getting slain in the spirit when we prayed for them. So I was like, boy, oh, boy, God's doing something fun there. So, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. How many of you guys realize if Jesus, is, uh, Jesus leads you to the Father, it's all part of the same family? Sometimes cousins look differently, but they're all related. So uh, brothers and sisters look differently. I guess that's a better analogy, but we're all related. All right. All right, so we're in, a, uh, we're in part 18 of a series. Can you believe that? Man, it's been a while since I've done an 18-part series. And so uh, I think the last one I did was in finances in 2011. So we're going to keep going here. We're looking at the 26 uh, New Testament healing stories. I'm trying to button this right on the fly here, this little cuff here. And it's like a micro button, so this is embarrassing. So um, we've seen over and over that it's always God's will to heal. Jesus said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he perfectly revealed the Father. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. What do we see? We see Jesus healing every person who came to him and every person that the Father led him to. And so we never see Jesus laying his hands on someone and saying, you know what? It's not my timing. You know what? You need to go solve some problems of character. You know what? And so whenever they came to him, Jesus would work with them uniquely and then bring them to faith. No one, there was only like two people that Jesus was like, wow, that's amazing faith. All the other people Jesus is working with them and bringing them. So we saw last week that Jesus can work with doubts. So if you're here with doubts, that's great because those become stepping stones of faith. We're going to see how Jesus helps you go from doubt to faith in this story as well. And so, um, yeah, so if it's always God's will to heal, how come not everybody's healed? Ever wonder about that one? All right, well, that's what this story is going to talk about today. And so if you'll turn with me to, uh, actually, I have it on your scripture sheets. If you're watching online, there should be an attachment that is linked to. I'm going to read the story from Matthew, and then we're going to spend most of our time in Mark's account as well. All right, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him. This is the man came up to Jesus. And kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And those are probably one of the saddest phrases in the entire Gospels. And they could not heal him. Verse 17, and Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to put up with you? These are some pretty strong words here. I mean, I'm expecting Jesus to be like, hey, you know, these guys are kind of new at this, you know. Uh, you know, they're Padawans. They haven't got the Jedi level. You know, they're not black belts. They're kind of like a green belt level here. But, you know, if, you, if, they'll, if you'll just give them some time, they'll do everything that I'm doing and even more. No, that's not what he says. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. I like a better translation. The NIV says, because of your unbelief. We'll look at that in a second. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. <clears throat> I must read it in chapter, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. Well, what is seen there? Got the scribes, this group of the Pharisees here having a theological debate while somebody's in need here. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to Jesus and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him and said, teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible for, who, for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. Most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some manuscripts say prayer and fasting. All right, you guys ready? All right, so I like to go through these stories, and let's just really try to... It's tempting to just go to some of the juicier verses, but I want to spend time. I feel like every verse is precious. And so we're going to, we're going to take our time through this. I'm going to be honest. I have way too much material, and I've done my best to cut it down. But you're going to get blessed somewhere in here if you'll pay attention. You guys good? All right, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So who's the they? When they came to the disciples. In this passage right before it, Jesus, Peter, and James were out on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they are stepping into the glory realm. They're out there. Elijah and Moses appeared. The cloud comes on Jesus. His clothes are transfigured. So they're getting to see Jesus in his glorified state. So this is absolutely amazing. So they've just had this incredible encounter. And now they come off the mountain and they got this tragic scene. It's like Moses. He'd been spending all that time with God. He comes down to a hot mess of, you remember, they're like made a golden idol. And they're like, um, we just threw some gold in and this thing crawled out. You know, they're like making all these crazy excuses. And um, isn't this kind of just true to life? You have an awesome God encounter, and then you come home to a hot mess. Does that ever happen to you? <laughs> and here's the deal, guys. It's not always the devil. It's God giving you the opportunity to use what you received in the glory. Okay, so there's nine disciples left behind, and they're feeling kind of lonely. Jesus is up there with Peter, James, and John. They're having these glory explosions up there on the mountain. And here they are down there, and they got these Pharisees coming and bugging them and having theological debates with them. <clears throat> so they come down from the mountain, and uh, here's these nine disciples. They're surrounded by these scribes. And so the scribes were kind of like Pharisees. They were experts in the law of Moses. So um, I was going to say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Or um, Genesis, Exorcist, Leviathan. Some, I heard one. I'm like, no, no, those aren't the books of the Bible. Yeah, so, um, so they were experts in the law of Moses, and so uh, you know, at age four, they began memorizing Leviticus. They started with Leviticus. Most Christians avoid Leviticus. The scribes they started with Leviticus, and they would go to Genesis and um, uh, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, Numbers. And so uh, by the time they were 12, they'd memorized all those books of the Bible. And they knew how to argue it backwards and forwards. And so here they are as adults. They've gone on and memorized the prophets. So they are just looking to school, these poor uh, nine disciples left alone there. So not only did they know these laws, but they began to become experts in the man-made laws that they added to the Bible. So they, they, these were the guys who would sit around and they would debate for hours and weeks on end little points of the laws that they had made up. And so this is what was putting bondage on people, all these extra things that the Bible never had them do. <clears throat> And so now they've surrounded these nine disciples. They're interrogating them. They're cross-examining them. You can just see there's this big argument going on. And it seems like they're arguing about the situation of the demonized boy. Like it didn't work, and now they're having this debate. You know, when is it right to cast off a demon? They're having all this type of stuff. And you can just see man's religion is so heartless. I mean, here's this family in need. I mean, the, the dad gave a little bit of the history about the boy there. But religion is more concerned about being right than it is about actually helping people. Religion would rather debate the theology of healing than actually look to Jesus and actually see a person healed. They're fine to leave you in that state, but they want to make sure that you know that you're wrong. And there's the crowd. So you got the, you got the nine disciples, you got the, Pharisees, or the scribes, and then you got the crowd, and they came for a show. So the only problem is there's no show. There's nothing going on there. So there's just these embarrassed disciples with egg on their face, and now, they're, now the crowd's staying to watch the argument. So you can just see this whole scene coming on here. And, uh, in Mark 9, 15, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, this is Jesus coming down the mountain, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So suddenly they're aware that Jesus um, has turned up the three disciples, or the, with the three disciples. The nine disciples have got to be so happy. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're in the middle of this mess here. And you got to imagine, they didn't know how long Jesus was going to be gone, so they're kind of surprised that all of a sudden he's coming onto the scene kind of just in time, and uh, suddenly new life comes into the group, okay? So when Jesus comes into a situation, it always brings new dimensions to that situation. And it said, everyone ran up to him and greeted him, which means they gave him the usual Hebrew uh, greeting of shalom or peace be with you, right? And Jesus cuts right through it. Shalom, shalom, he cuts right through it. Um, I heard an argument's going on down here. What are you arguing with my disciples about? I love it. Jesus just cuts right through this thing. The disciples, they're in disgrace, but Jesus comes and he stands with them. They're going to have all these fingers pointed at them, and Jesus deflects from all this stuff. What are you guys doing to my disciples? What are you arguing with them about? And so the scribes, they don't answer Jesus. They came there uh, looking for a fight, but now that Jesus showed up, they're like, I, I don't know if I want any of this action. And in verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered. He's saying, hey, I'm the reason why this fight's going on. I'm the reason that they're arguing about here. 
Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And so just to be clear, uh, this man is not an epileptic. I think some of the older translations of the Bible say that the, that the man has epilepsy, and so it's some crazy teachings got in the church that anyone who has epilepsy, it must be a demon. And so um, the, the Greek does not say epileptic. It uses a whole different word, which is it's the, it's the word luna. And so some translations say lunatic, uh, which you know, doesn't translate super well today. Uh, the actual word is like moonstruck. So he, he kind of goes into these states is what it is. So it looks like epilepsy, but what we have is a demonized boy. Epilepsy is a physical condition that deals with brain and brain waves. Okay? And so when it's a demon, it needs to be cast out. When it needs to be healed and it's a physical condition, we need to lay hands on it. So not all epilepsy is a demon. Are we okay here? In this story, it isn't epilepsy. It just sure looks a whole lot like it. Okay? So the demon spirit is making this boy mute. It's causing him to have seizures. Uh, verse 18, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. In uh, Luke's account of the story, he says the spirit seizes him and shatters him. So that, that, that translation, it could be translated, he beats him black and blue. So you get in this situation, the, the, the boy is, uh, he's mute, he's having these seizures, he's getting thrown around, and uh, it's, just, it's just a horrible situation. Uh, later in Mark's version, in verse 20, it says, The spirit convulses the boy, and he foams at the mouth and rolls on the ground. Verse 22, it throws him into the fire and into the water. Okay, Again, it looks like epilepsy, but it's a demon spirit. That's why we read in uh, verse 18 in Matthew, it says, When the demon left, the boy was healed instantly. The cause was the demon. Are we okay there? All right, I've just heard lots of bad teaching on epilepsy, and be free. <laughs> you need healing, not exercise. All right. All right, so... Um, all right, so this was demonization that looked a whole lot like leprosy. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Man, I couldn't even underline those words in my Bible. It was just too sad. And they were not able. And again, I, I'm expecting Jesus to go, hey, give these guys a little bit of break. They're kind of new at this, you know. And uh, man, that is, not, that is not what he did, how he responds uh, when he found out the disciples weren't able to deal with the situation, he responds in verse 19, and he answered them, O faithless generation. Uh, I like the NI, uh, I'll, I'll just read you the ESV, the English Standard Version. O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I like the way the NIV translates it better here. And so let's look at the New International Version. You unbelieving generation. Okay? So I want to see in here in a second, I don't think faithless makes any sense because Jesus is about to go on and say, you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. And so another, part, another translation says little faith. And so a mustard seed is like microscopic. And so for Jesus to be like, hey, you only need microscopic faith, and you only had a little faith, like, like we have like half a mustard seed. And so the word there is not, um, is not uh, faithless. Okay, it's, it's the word for faith, and it kind of has the negative to it. So it's a difficult word to translate. But I believe that unbelieving, because he calls them an unbelieving generation, he says, uh, the father says, help my unbelief. Um, the, and the, the disciples, uh, he goes on and talks about unbelief in a couple other places. So I, I just believe that unbelief is the best one. So you'll see why, more why here in a little bit. But you remember, remember where Jesus has just come from. He just come from the threshold of heaven. He's just been in the glory with his father. He comes down to this hot mess, and here his disciples cannot take care of things that they should have been able to take care of. I mean, a disciple meant you were supposed to be like your master. I mean, in, in those days, they could actually tell who your teacher was just by the way you talked. You actually talked like your teacher. The idea is when you become a disciple is that you are able to do what the master does. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6.40, every student who is fully trained will be like his master. Here's Jesus. He's pouring his life into them so that he, they can reproduce the character of Jesus, and it just isn't working. Okay, and so uh, I'm not sure if you can just hear the exasperation. He answered them, oh, it's like a, oh, come on, guys. You know, there's, there's a frustration. And I think when we picture God as love, we picture, you know, remember, when we see Jesus, he's representing the Father. And I think sometimes when we picture love, we just picture the sloppy love. It's like, it's okay, everything's fine, nothing really matters. But you can see here, He's frustrated. I, I, guys, I, I don't know if God literally does this in heaven, but there's got to be times he's sometimes shaking his head. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. But it's like, guys, he's like, Jesus has got to be like, guys, I've been with you for three years, every single day, pouring my life into you. We went, remember, they just come from a trip in the mountains where Jesus was giving them special instruction, training this. He already gave them his authority. They've already had success in casting out demons. They've seen Jesus do it over and over again, and it's always worked. 
And so you can say he's a little bit, he's a little bit frustrated, but I love the patience of Jesus. That's all he says. He doesn't beat these guys up. When they get into the house later, he just answers questions as normal. But you can see, guys, you're unbelieving generation. Like, like how much longer I got to deal with this? Like, when are you guys going to get this? Okay, are we all right there? And so, um, and so, yeah, so, I, okay, so he says that statement. He's like, okay, now we got to get about the father's business. Mark 9, 19, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about, <clears throat> foaming at the mouth. So this is an interesting demon. <clears throat> so all the other demons, when they saw Jesus, they cried out, Son of David! Or, you know, like, are you the appointed one? Have you come to torment us? Like, they're afraid of him. This one kind of throws a temper tantrum. This one's doing, this is a very defiant uh, type of demon. And again, <clears throat> when the um, boy comes into sight of Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, don't make me gargle. Oh, boy. You know what? Remember last time I did this? There was electrical outlets there. They put giant tape over this for this very reason. But I think I almost electrocuted myself last time, so. You know, maybe those would be healing water. Someone would come touch you, they'll get healed. Who knows? Or electrocuted. Maybe that's what you need. I don't know, so. So, again, this shows that it's not epilepsy, okay, because it was, this whole episode was triggered when the boy saw Jesus, and um, it's not just a chance spasm of the brain. And so I want to say this. We don't see a lot of this kind of activity in America where someone has a full-blown manifestation of a demon. You see a lot of it in Africa. It's very common over there. I don't think that Americans are less demonized than Africa. I just think that uh, the demons, they do better in secret in America and make us think that there is no God, there is no invisible realm. The only thing that is is science, and a lot of times science isn't even science. And so I think that de demonic powers are working at high levels through human leaders and that they work, they work more effectively through that. And um, if they were to get in the presence of Jesus, they would probably have some type of something. And um, so I'm just saying, I don't think all the demons are in Africa. I think we got them here too. Oh, look at this. My son has come to wash my feet. Oh, no, you're not washing my feet. Okay. All right. There's got to be some type of prophetic thing happening here with my son doing this. So saving my life from electricity. Yeah. He's like, Dad, I don't want my inheritance quite yet. So come here, buddy. I love you. This is a good boy. He's been like a son to me. So, <laughs> proud of that kid. It's going to be hard to go on. I love my kids so much. All right, and so where am I? Electrocution. No, that's not it. Demons, high levels. All right. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't want you guys to read this story like it's a fairy tale just because maybe you've never seen demons manifest like this. I've seen it happen in America, but most of the time when, um, when we see somebody delivered, they just feel better. They just feel a little bit lighter. Sometimes I've even heard people say, I just felt something lift off to me, lift off of me. And so I don't, you don't have to tell them it was a demon and freak them out and everything, but you know that a lot of times that, you know, that's what it's caused by. And so I just don't want you to read it like it's a fairy, a fairy tale. So uh, Mark 9, 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? So get the picture. The, the, uh, Jesus is standing there. The boy's convulsing on the floor. And you're kind of like, Jesus, why don't you deal with this thing? Right? Jesus is delaying it, and he says, how long has this been happening to him? I mean, the dad's got to be thinking, how long? Like, it doesn't really matter. Jesus, you can clear this thing up immediately, right? Why is he prolonging this? Why does Jesus say how long? Okay? Those of you who have been here for the last 17 weeks, this is week 18, you probably know the answer to this. And if you don't know the answer to this, I'm going to say, oh, Lord, how long am I going to put up with these people? No, I'm not going to say that. Jesus is not asking for information, okay? What did Jesus do? He always had, the, he often had these interactions with people to draw faith at them. Okay, we're going to see the dad, he doesn't have a lot of faith. He, if you can, we're about to see in a second. Because what's Jesus? He's asking this because he's making connection with this guy. He's giving this guy a chance to feel the compassion of Jesus, to get his eyes up higher. And so he says, okay, he could have gone straight to the healing, and he doesn't. Why? Because faith needs to be somewhere in the equation, it's either in the person that's bringing the person to be healed or the person who's being healed. That's good news, guys. It's oftentimes in these miracles, it was the person who brought the person who had faith, which means you can believe for someone else's healing. We even saw in one of the stories, they did a long-distance deliverance. Jesus delivered a demon at a distance. I'm like, I didn't, never saw that before. That's good news. Some of you are thinking of people that need long-distance deliverances right now. Your face should be encouraged. I'm serious. 
So Jesus isn't just asking you for information. He says, how long has this been happening to him? And you can see here, here's the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is intensely interested in this man and his family. I want to I put it this way. Jesus is not treating this guy as, okay, this is miracle number story, 18 here. Bring him to me. You're not a number when you come to Jesus. You're not a statistic. You're not another report for his newsletter. You mattered him, and he's getting intensely interested in this man's life. Each one of you is unique. You're not a case to God. You're a special to God. I want you, those of you who have children and you have multiple children, each one of those kids is uniquely special to you, right? They're not just like child number 15 or whatever, you know? So, well, I guess when it gets to that level, I mean, maybe, uh, maybe numbers are easier than names. I don't know. But um, I remember Danny Silk used to tease, he called this children child experiment number one, child experiment number two, because you really don't know what you're doing when you're parenting. I remember I used to read all the parenting books. I'm like, none of this is helping. Oh, I'm probably going to have to actually trust Jesus. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> these books aren't getting it. So Jesus stands before the dad, and, uh, and he says, how long? Again, he's not asking for information. It's not going to change the miracle either way, but this man needs to give it. This man needs to connect to that compassion of Jesus. Listen, guys, God knows your need before you ever said it, but that's not the point. You may need to spill your heart to God. You may need to tell him it so you can feel the compassion of God, that he's not just up there, this wall that you're speaking to, but it's a real father, and his compassion flows to you. When the world around you is falling apart, when you get a report from the doctor that is terrible, you need to tell him, not because he needs the information, but because you need to experience his compassion. And so Jesus says, how long? And so the father begins pouring out the story in verse 21, and he said, from childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So this family has been tormented for years. Uh, you can imagine one of the parents is always on duty, making sure the kid doesn't fall into the fire, the kid doesn't drown. 24-7, they're on high alert. They can, never, they can never not be aware of the child. And all they could do is just stand there helpless while their child writhed there on the floor. He's pouring it out, and Jesus is listening. And you know the effect it has, because the father doesn't say, help my son. He says, have compassion on us and help us. Because you know, those kind of illnesses, they affect the whole family. Have compassion on all of us. It's, this, is, this is killing our family here. The word help, in the, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So if you hear a pastor refer to in the Greek, it's because the original New Testament was written in Greek. And uh, the word for help there is made up of two words. The word a cry and run. So here's the idea. He's saying, have compassion on us and help us. Hear my cry and rush to my side. Okay. He's saying, Jesus, come and have compassion, hear my cry, rush to my side. But then he prefaces it with this, if you can do anything, if you can even do anything. I mean, you can see this guy has been crushed by the disappointment of the disciples. When one of the, one of the representatives of Jesus prays for you and it doesn't work, it can be crushing. Can we just admit that? Some of you have been prayed for by me and it didn't work. You did not get an encounter with Jesus, you got an encounter with Jim. And it can be very disappointing. If you can do anything. If you can do anything, I mean, your disciples, they show me they can't do anything. And my understanding is they represent you. And so if this is the best you guys have got, maybe we've come to the end of God's power here when it comes to my son here. And so if you can do anything, if you can, like I've heard the reports about you, but um, man, I'm not seeing it in your disciples. I mean, I guess the reports, maybe they were a little bit exaggerated. And so here he is. He's, he's been, his expectancy has been crushed once. And now he's coming cautiously if you can even do anything. So Jesus picks up on his word. Jesus is so good at that in these interactions. He picks up on it, so the guy says, if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if you can, picks up in this guy's words. And uh, in verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus doesn't work with passivity. Here's this guy, he's disappointed, he's just, if you can do anything, you know, it's kind of like, you know, God, you know where my address is, you know, if, if you want to heal me, if you, that, does, that doesn't work with salvation. God doesn't just save you, just bam, I'm just, I'm just coming along and I hated God and all of a sudden I got zapped and I kind of love him now. Like, no, 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 there were, you heard good news and you believed it. There was something of you saying that, you know what, this is for me, there's a taking hold of it. That's the same when it comes to healing. Not, there's not usually just a zapping when you aren't looking for it, right? I mean, God's good, he can do all that stuff, but we see the pattern in here is these people, they, Jesus brought them to point of faith where they finally said, okay, that's for me. I see what you're talking about now. I've heard about it, but now I'm seeing it for myself. So Jesus quotes this man right back to him. If you can, oh no, mister, it's not if you can, 
all things are possible for the one who believes. That is, listen, we're both in this. My power is not limited to the possible. My power is only limited by the unbelief around it. All things are possible for the one who believes. Don't ever forget that, guys. Don't ever forget that. Whatever situation you're facing, all things are possible for the one who believes. Guys, faith is not something that we bring to God that we got independently of him. Faith is not something where you create inside of your head and you work it up and you, and you come to God and you say, Lord, I think I have enough of it. Can we do something with this? I think a lot of people, that's new age. We're trying to work up this energy and cause something to happen. No, 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 no. Faith is always created in the presence of Jesus. Faith is when we see what Jesus has done in the Gospels. You know, we, we see him in, in our life, and then, we, oh, now I believe. I'm connecting to that compassion. I'm seeing him for who he is. I'm seeing his character. I'm seeing his track record in the scriptures, and faith is rising because I'm connecting to Jesus. Faith doesn't try to get faith by trying to have faith. I, I was kind of confused. I think I confused myself on that one. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We don't look inside and work it up, and then, no, no, no. It's always helpless surrender. God... Boy, guys, that's probably a prayer for a lot of us. Say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He can work with that. Mark 9, 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I get it. I believe. Help my unbelief. Here you can see that you can believe and doubt at the same time. This is a powerful revelation. I never saw this before until I heard Andrew Womack teach on some of this. But it's actually possible to believe and doubt at the same time. And if you just have mustard seed faith, that can move mountains if you believe and not doubt. So if you think of it like this, faith is like a team of horses pulling you towards the answer for what Jesus paid for. Doubt is like, uh, or doubt and unbelief is like a team of horses pulling in the opposite direction. So Jesus is coming up to people, and they've got this tug of war going on inside of them. And through these little interactions, he was able to cut that connection so that faith would win. I got some good news for you. He can do the same thing for you today. Maybe some of you, as you're hearing this story, you're beginning to connect to that compassion of God. You're realizing, yeah, I've been disappointed by, uh, by disciples, but I've never been disappointed by Jesus. Oh, that was good. That wasn't in the notes. That was good. Of course, I barely have any water left now. The word cried out there is almost like he gave a squeal. It's, ah, I've got it. Listen to how the Amplified translates. The Amplified takes the original New Testament and kind of uses some of the words behind it. Kind of a, the technical word is a semantic range. But ready for this? At once the father of the boy gave an eager, piercing, inarticulate cry with tears. Boy, that paints a different picture. And he said, Lord, I believe. Now constantly help my weakness of faith. Got him in process. Walk with me through this process. This is good. This is a good passage. And I think we can all relate to this. I just say, thank God, the, thank God the guy was honest. We've seen over and over again that you can't come to God with your fake positive confessions. You know, I don't really believe it, but if I say I believe it, then maybe God will think I believe it. And you know, it's like, no, 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 no. You can be honest with God. You can say, God, I'm struggling. I got some doubts. Like, I'm here. I'm coming forward for the prayer. I, like, if you're coming forward for prayer, that's faith. But you may need to deal with some of those doubts. And the person praying for you may need to deal with some of those doubts. You will never get disappointed by Jesus. Some of his disciples, listen, we're all growing. Don't get your eyes on man. That's not going to do any good for you. So thank God uh, this guy wasn't stuck in some silly positive confession. These are just lying symptoms. I believe that I'm healed. And, you know, or I know God's doing a work. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't give you any responsibility for the now. Remember, faith is looking at it and it's, it's grabbing hold of it. It's taking hold of it. It's relying upon him. It's saying, you know what? I've heard about it. We took communion. It's helping me focus on it. Yes. Yeah, I'm believing now. I see it. He wants it for me. When he got there, uh, I love this journey. And um, in this exchange between it, Jesus, once again, is such a genius, he pulls faith out of this guy. Because he starts with, if you can, to the squeal coming out and saying, I get it. I believe. I just need a little bit of help. So Jesus, the genius, once again, takes this man, reaches inside of his soul, and pulls that faith out. I mean, aren't you just amazed at week after week how Jesus does this? It's so awesome. Mark 9, 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together to see the show, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. What's Jesus doing? He's using his authority here. Okay? When you face the forces of hell, you're not coming as a pauper. You're coming as a representative of Jesus. 
Okay? You're not, you're not in your own authority. Oh, man, I've had a good week this week with the Lord, so I've got authority. No, no, no. You've got nothing except that you've been united to Jesus, and he gave you the power of the attorney to speak in his name. So I was talking to someone recently, and they're like, oh, how do you, how do you cast out demons? You tell them to leave. And you mean it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to say it more than once because they're stubborn. <laughs> And they lie like crazy. Like sometimes the person will actually begin manifesting a demonic voice. And uh, I remember one time we were in Africa and the people didn't speak African. Or they didn't speak English. And uh, the, the, the humans didn't speak English, but the demons were speaking to us in English and taunting us. That was kind of discouraging, if, you know. And so I, I did not do good in those situations. I'll I just be honest. I did bad. I, I got my eyes totally on the situation. They're, they were, here's what they were saying in English. You have no power, and we're not leaving. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got no power. They're not leaving. I totally had my eyes on the wrong thing, and guess what? Unbelief becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Just like I believed nothing would happen, nothing happened. Even though I kept saying the words in my mind, I'm like, how do I get out of this situation? Hopefully they're not going to beat me up or something. They were levitating. It was, it was humiliating. It was horrible. We did better the second year, though. The second year, every demon left that we prayed for. So, yeah. It was awesome. It was our whole team. It wasn't just me. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that, but that was uh, much more encouraging. But we, we did some things differently. We got our eyes on Jesus. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This is the only time I believe Jesus gives that double command. Normally, it's just get out. I jokingly say, here's your uh, deliverance training. Shut up and get out, because a lot of times they're making a bunch of noise, and so we sometimes... Like sometimes we'll have people manifest in this service and we just whisper in there, shut up. Like in other words, you're not going to embarrass this person. Take him out in the hallway. Deliverance happens. And so it's good. Shut up and get out. There you go. And so, um, but Jesus gives this double command and uh, it's pretty interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why he did it like this. I, I, I really don't. I don't know if this, this demon was, uh, you know, pretty obstinate. I don't know if this was like a higher level demon and Jesus, I, I have no idea why he did it. But um, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Verse 28. And when Jesus had entered the house, so apparently the situation's done. <clears throat> now, him and the disciples are going to the house. A lot of people think this was Jesus' house. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? <clears throat> now, this is a pretty valid question. I mean, the disciples... He, Jesus had already given them authority over every sickness, every evil spirit, every disease. Remember in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus commissioned them. He gave them authority, and uh, they should have been able to handle this. And not only did they have all the power that they needed to set the demonized boy free, they had prior success in using it. Okay, I don't think I have these verses up, but let me read this to you. Luke 9, 6, and they, who's the they? These are the same disciples who are asking the questions, why didn't it work? And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Everywhere they went, people got healed. Mark 6, 13. And they, these same disciples, are saying, why didn't it work? They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So these guys had a track record. They'd seen Jesus do it. They'd seen themselves do it. Okay? Uh, Matthew 17, 19. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and say, why could we not cast it out? Uh, I, it's not because they didn't believe. They had faith. That, I mean, that's the whole reason they were trying. Listen, guys, if they didn't have faith, they wouldn't have been surprised. Why this, they're like, why didn't this thing work? They're, they're, they're shocked. They had faith, but they had some doubt. Remember, you can believe and doubt at the same time. It was their unbelief. And so the disciples, uh, so here they are. I mean, imagine the situation. They're with this demonized epileptic boy. They exercise their faith. They act on it. They speak to the mountain, and they don't see the boy healed. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I don't know about you, I've done that before. I, I've stood in front of uh, people who needed it, and I spoke that prayer of faith. I've got my eyes on Jesus the best I could, and nothing happens. And uh, it's super not fun. And everyone in here, you've had a situation where you've put your eyes on Jesus, and you've pointed your best faith at it, and it didn't work, right? I'm not talking about those people who say, Lord, if it be your will, that's just passive. That's just that's, that's not a biblical prayer. The only time it says, Lord, if it be your will, is when you're going to move to another city and it says, don't make plans without God. Don't say, oh, we're going to go to this city and we're going to do that. But say, Lord, if it be your will. It's talking about presumptuous planning. It's not talking about with the clear will of God. And you're like, I mean, you're going to go to somebody and the person's like, I want, to be, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Lord, if it be your will. No, no. We know what his will is. He wants everyone to follow him. 
So when someone's standing you for healing, Lord, if it be that, well, no, no, no. He already said he bore your sickness, carried your pain, by his stripes you were healed. He says Jesus healed them all, every person who came to him. We already know what his will is, so don't pray this stupid passive prayer that sounds so, Lord, if it be thy will. That's garbage. So these disciples, they're not surprised when nothing happens. I mean, they are surprised when nothing happens. They're like, hold on, why isn't this working? Okay, guy, we, um, we, so why do you think certain demons don't come out? Why are specific individuals not healed? Why don't financial breakthroughs come sometimes? Why do people pray really believing and, not, and, uh, and ask for something and it doesn't come to pass? Jesus gives the answer here in uh, verse 20. So Jesus said to them, uh, I like the New King James, because of your unbelief. You're believing, just like this dad. I believe, help my unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, this microscopic thing, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Again, I like the unbelief part because I, I, think, I think it gets at it better. Because if it says the littleness of your faith, it just doesn't make sense. You only need a microscopic, and you guys had less than microscopic. No, they didn't. They actually had success and all that. So I believe unbelief is a better thing. So um, because of your unbelief, you can have faith and yet have unbelief at the same time. Remember in Matthew 14, uh, Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus, but then he took his eyes off of Jesus and got him on the circumstances. All right? What's going on? Uh, um, Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Another translation, you of unbelief, why did you doubt? Peter only had a little faith, and yet he walked on water. That's all he needed. But when he got his eyes off of Jesus, the unbelief settled in, and he began to sink. It was not Peter's lack of faith. It was the doubt, which is unbelief in action, that came from looking at the negatives. Mark chapter 11, Jesus curses the fig tree, and the disciples are shocked because the next day the, the disciples see the fig tree actually began to wither. Mark eleven twenty, and they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered to its roots, and Peter remembered to him and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. They're shocked. Jesus isn't shocked. He wasn't like, oh, my goodness, it worked. No, no, no. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Remember, doubt is unbelief in action. But believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. I'm not going to prolong this story. I, I've told it in other places. But we had a crazy miracle. Uh, this is years ago at a college campus where a girl had a glass eye, prayed for her eye. The glass eye popped out. She had a brand new eyeball growing. So it was, like, it was like unbelievable. So I remember I was at a service a little while later, and I'm thinking, man, if I can see a glass eye healed, like someone who's uh, in front of me for a wheelchair, I'm like, man, if we had a, an eyeball was created, I'm like, Man, this wheelchair is not going to be anything. And so I was, I, was, I was excited. Like, I wasn't nervous. I was just excited. This is, it just made sense to me. If I can see an eyeball grow, I can see this person get out of the wheelchair. And so, um, oh, this is bad. In the name of Jesus, I yanked them out of the wheelchair, and their legs weren't any better, and they just flopped and fell on their face. And you could just hear the, oh, yeah, just like you guys, just kind of, oh. Let me just tell you, there is no way to get out of that situation with dignity. I mean, you're, you're, you're apologizing, you're, you're getting the person back up, you're, you're just doing the best you can. And it was, uh, it was just absolutely horrible. And so I was confused because I knew I had faith. I mean, you wouldn't have faith if you, you wouldn't try to pull someone out of a wheelchair if you didn't have some kind of faith, right? And so, um, so now listen to the story of Smith Wigglesworth. Let's just contrast it and let's see if we can learn some lessons. Smith Wigglesworth. He used to start off a meeting. He was a uh, healing revivalist of the early 1900s. He used to say, whoever gets up here first will be healed of whatever disease you got. And so uh, there were some women, and one, one time he did it, there were some women in the front row, and there was an elderly woman between them. And so they're holding this lady up. So there's a person on each side. They're holding this lady up, and it looks like she's nine months pregnant. The tumor in her stomach is so big. And Smith Wigglesworth says, uh, let her go. And they said, she's too weak. She can't stand up on her own. I said, let her go. Oh, Lord Jesus. They did, and she fell flat on her face on top of the tumor and let out a loud groan of pain. Wigglesworth wasn't faced. Moans and groans were uh, going through the whole audience, and Smith Wigglesworth said, pick her up. So they picked her up, and he said, let her go. And the two women protested. A man in the audience stood up and said, you beast, leave that poor woman alone. And Wigglesworth answered, I know my business, you mind your business. <laughs> then he turned back to those ladies and roared, let her go. And they let her go, and she started to fall, but then caught herself. The tumor fell out of her dress onto the stage, and she walked off perfectly healed. 
I would tell you this. I had just as much faith as Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth didn't get any results, uh, any better results than I did the first time he ministered. Person fell flat on their face. What was the difference? He didn't have more faith in me. He just didn't have the unbelief. He wasn't moved when it didn't work. For me, I wanted the rapture to come. <laughs> I'm like, come on. Receive my spirit. <clears throat> Guys, it's not that our faith is necessarily weak. It's being canceled out, negated, and counterbalanced by unbelief. Faith simply believes what God said is true above what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Imagine, um, imagine my kids were smaller and I was going away to preach at a church next weekend. And the previous 100 times I had gone away to speak, I had said, my, said to my kids, hey, when I, uh, I'm going to get you something while I out, when I'm out, and when I come home, I'm going to give you a little present. And so 100 times it had worked. And this time I said, kids, when I get back, I'm going to get a little present for you. And when I come home, uh, I open up the door and they yell, daddy's home. And they come and hug me and they said, where's our present? What's that? That's biblical faith. They heard my word, and they believed it based on my character, based on my track record. Now, imagine if uh, their friends had gone, you know, I know your dad said that. I know he's kind of did the 100 times, but there might have been some times before that you didn't remember. And, you know, the economy is getting kind of tougher and inflation, and, you know, maybe, you know, and I heard your dad was extra busy on this, on this trip, and maybe it won't work. If they began focusing on those things, they might not even ask for the present. They might not even expect anything because they listened to those other voices, Guys, simple mustard seed faith, it just doesn't doubt. This would be a whole other teaching. I'm just going to hit it real quick. It's not in the notes. But in Mark chapter 6, um, this, Jesus had uh, fed the multitudes. The disciples were amazed. And then they got in the boat, you know, and there was the wind and the waves. And Jesus is asleep. He gets up. He rebukes the waves. The disciples are saved. And then he rebukes them for their unbelief. Remember this story? So what, what's going on there? Unbelief focuses more on outward circumstances than what God has said. They should have focused on, and he says, you considered not the miracle of the loaves and fishes, and he rebuked their unbelief. In other words, you should have been focusing on the miracle because the miracle had the nutrients in it to get you past the next situation. Unbelief is moved by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Faith is moved by what God says. And guys, I know we're charismatics. We love the spirit, but you know what? We also love the word. We've got to be people who are not moved by the size of the tumor, the, the negativity of the doctor's report, the pain that's going through our back, whatever it might be. We cannot be moved by those outward circumstances that will lead you into unbelief. But Jim, I'm believing. Oh, but the doctor said this. Oh, my goodness. And you'd be like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And what's the Bible say? That man should not think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. What's the solution? Well, Jesus is going to give it to us here in just a second. I think what caused, uh, let's just back for a second. Matthew 17, verse 20. And they brought the boy to Jesus, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. I think this is what caused the disciples' unbelief, is this boy had an episode, and what happened? Man, there is a lot. I don't, I'm not sure if you've ever seen him having a seizure. It's a lot to take in. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of scary the first time you see it, and you're not going on. And so what happened? I think that the, the boy had an episode, <clears throat> and it caused this natural kind of unbelief. Where they're focusing on this, you've got the scribes there, you've got all this pressure, and they got their eyes off of Jesus, and they got their eyes under the wind and the waves. Why couldn't we cast it out? Matthew 17, 21, Jesus continued, but this guy, he says, because of your unbelief, in other words, your unbelief had counteracted the faith. You guys had faith, but your unbelief counteracted it. And here's the solution, but this kind only comes about by prayer and fasting, Okay. So a lot of people have said that there's certain demons that need, you need to pray and fast. But the whole focus of this passage is unbelieving generation, unbelieving disciples. Uh, I believe, help my unbelief. The whole focus of this passage is the unbelief of the disciples. That's why it didn't work, not the size of the demon. So prayer and fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. Is that for me? Am I, am I supposed to be finishing right now? Is that what's happening there? So, um, guys, if... The blood of Jesus isn't enough to get the demon out. Your stupid fasting isn't going to help matters. When Jesus says, it is finished, here's how that can be translated. It is completely complete. 
It is perfectly perfect. It is perfectly complete. It is completely perfect. What Jesus did on the cross is enough for any problem that you're facing. Okay? So the fasting is not to impress God. You're not adding anything to it. Fasting helps me narrow the focus and see what is available to me because of what Jesus has done. There's nothing wrong with... Fasting isn't works. It can become wisdom. Grace is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Okay, it becomes wisdom when Jesus says, this is what's available, and sometimes there's a spiritual preparation that you need to go through in order to be able to receive the things I've prepared for you. I want you to notice, Jesus neither prayed nor fasted. <laughs> Bring the boy to me, but hold on. We're going to go on a three-day fast. Stay right there. Three-day fast, three days of prayer. No, Jesus already had a lifestyle of preparation, so he was ready for the situation when they needed it. He said to the disciples, you guys have not had that kind of lifestyle. You guys have not had that kind of preparation. Guys, I'm challenging us as a church to come spiritually prepared. You do not want to have to cram for a miracle. You do not want to be feasting your mind on the 10 Spy Network, Chicken Noodle News. You do not want to be feasting on 24-7 fear, doubt, and unbelief of the news. Remember the 10 Spies? They focused on the giants. That's the news today, the 10 Spy Network. All they do is focus on the giants, and if you're feeding yourself on that, and you're talking about that, and this year, did you see what they said? You see what the liberals said? You see what AOC said? You see what Ben Shapiro said? You see the, the, like, like, you can be aware. Be aware as your calling calls you to be aware. Okay, if you're called to be in the political realm and you want to know enough how to pray, great. But if you're getting to the point where you're offended, you're not going to be able to move in the power of God with an offended heart. You're feasting on unbelief, and you're wondering why it doesn't work. I believe, but I've been eating three meals a day of unbelief for 20 years. And then you get two hours on Sunday to try to counteract that. Guys, if I only ate one meal a week, I'd be a lot thinner than I am now. So would you. It wouldn't be good. You wouldn't be healthy. Okay? I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm trying to say, Jesus is giving us solution. You believe? You got this unbelief? There needs to be some spiritual preparation at times to be able to see what Jesus paid for. All right. If all five of your senses are telling you that it didn't work, you need to develop the sixth sense of faith. When are you going to believe in you're healed? Um, When my symptoms are gone. Why wait until then? Because at that time, you'll know you're healed and you won't need faith. It's believe and then receive. I'm seeing what Jesus has done. I'm connecting with that compassion. I'm connecting to his track record. I'm connecting to his word. And it's drawing that faith out of me. So sometimes we need to spend spend time on that. Faith is saying no to something good so you can say yes to something better. Fasting is feasting on a different reality. Your body knows that when you say, by his stripes I was healed, and your body says, you're still hurting, you're not healed, you will counter and say, no, body, I am healed. You're drawing from another realm. You're not going by what you see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And when you spend so much time in his presence, his word becomes like a sixth sense. You might see, taste, hear, smell, or feel what God, might not see what God, you might not see, taste, hear, smell, or feel what God said, but you'll have faith based on his word, and then things will change. All right, let's stand for closing prayer. You guys good? Are you guys ready for this? The disciples said, Jesus, why didn't it work? I want you to get this. Jesus did not begin to teach them about unanswered prayer because he didn't have any. We cannot make unanswered prayer normal. Oh, well, it's just sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what Jesus demonstrated. Jesus never taught them on unanswered prayer because he didn't have any. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to the Father. And you can ask whatever you have in my name, and it will be done for you. That your joy may be complete. Your joy is not supposed to come from prayer. Your joy has come from answers to prayer. A lot of people think we're supposed to get the joy in praying, and it's all about prayer, 24-7 prayer, prayer, prayer chains, prayer this, prayer this. Prayer is great. But you know what's even better? Answered prayer. God's not like up there, ooh, our prayer. <laughs> I love those guys. Look at this. Look at this. A lot of people's long prayers are just long unbelief, verbalized. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, I'm trying to get us. Guys, unanswered prayer can never be normal for the believer. 
As a church, we're not going to let it be normal in our thinking. What are we going to do? When it's not working, we're going to follow the, uh, what Jesus said, is uh, pray and fast, not just for a specific problem, but for the anointing. And when you don't understand, do what the disciples did. They came to Jesus and asked him, what's going on here? Might need to be some spiritual preparation. Maybe it's something else. Maybe he wants to give you some wisdom. But Jesus neither prayed nor fasted, but he did as a lifestyle. If we could have our ministry teams come forward. We're going we're gonna to pray here in just a moment. And so our staff last week felt like we were supposed to pray for people who had, we're going to pray for everybody who wants prayer, but we felt specifically that people who had uh, needed healing in their physical heart condition. I understand people can be like heart sick and you can have heartache and those type of things. I understand that. And so we'll pray for that too. But we want to um, make sure we pray specifically. If you've got like, you know, congenital heart failure or AFib or something like that, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, God's highlighting it and we want to make sure we uh, just respond to that. So. So as we're lining up here, if you're here online, I'm asking you to uh, just to do what we saw in this passage. Just to begin, and if you're listening here, to connect with the compassion of Jesus. I know there's a lot of activity going down front here, but if we could just, just keep, your eyes, uh, keep your eyes on Jesus here. And um, that's the only way help's going to come. So uh, if you guys are ready, and so I'll, for, the, for those of you who are not receiving prayer, they're going to be worshiping up here. I want you to just engage in worship. What's that going to do? It's going to help, help focus your eyes on Jesus. It's going to create an atmosphere of faith in the room. And again, we're going to, uh, who, who's the master of testimonies? We have master of ceremonies. Who's the master of testimonies? Sean. Is that Sean? Okay, Sean here in the front. Or you guys all know and love Sean. He's a good looking one with muscles. That's not me. That's me minus the good looking and muscles. But yeah, he's just like me. And so, um, so when something good's happening, come and share it with Sean because a testimony is not a prayer request. Okay, I'm not, not trying to be mean, but don't come up and say, well, I'm believing God's going to do this. And No, no, no. We're saying like something's already happening in your body and you're sharing that. And it's not a time to preach. Are we okay? We, we just had a long one. You, you guys are good with preaching. But um, it's, it's, so if something's happening, share it because it builds faith. Okay? And so, yeah, so if you're here and you've got, um, let's just do heart problems first. You're like, hey, I, I have a physical need in my heart. Please come forward. And so it looks like, uh, how many lines are we doing, Emily? Are we doing two or three? We're doing three. So, yeah, if you guys, uh, if we can have the people who need prayer for that.